Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Thank you so much for joining us on this special edition of not only the Good Fight Radio Show, but just on Good Fight Ministries' Talking End Times Theology, taking not only your questions but also looking at questions that already came in from our Patreon page. So if you're from Patreon, thank you guys so much who have subscribed at patreon.com slash goodfight. We just want to say thank you so much for you guys on YouTube as well as Facebook. But with me, as always, to answer these questions is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Hey, I'm ready to dive in. I hope you guys are ready to dive in. We're just going to have a Blessed time. Yeah, you know, and we have a ton of questions. And before I get to them, I just wanted to welcome you all. I know you guys have been patient with us on there. We try to get this thing shared. So if you have a moment while you're watching, and hopefully this is blessing you, make sure you like, comment, and share. Let us know where you guys are from as well. We're always so blessed to talk to people on there, see them from South Africa, New Zealand. We see people from Canada, all over the country as well. And you know, before we even get into some of the end time stuff that we're going to be talking about, Joe, we are headed out. We're we're going out as a ministry to New York coming up very very soon. We'll be out. Away. The uh, we're leaving the tenth, but we're doing a conference actually that you guys can be involved in. You can get all that information. You can just go to Good Fight Ministries, our Facebook page, and you can see the flyer that we have developed. And there's a number you can contact on there. But Joe, both of us are going to actually get to speak. But I'm excited yeah. what you're speaking about. Yep, yeah, uh, we'll be doing a deal on Marvel. So the first time I'll actually do <laughs> and DC, Joe, don't forget. Oh yeah, Marvel and DC is <laughs> War on God, and that'll be the first time we actually present some of the information in a live context. Uh, and that time, uh, we'll, the video will be really close to done. We'll come back from there and tie it up, hopefully. Uh, and I'm just excited about that. And Chad, you're gonna be doing something on uh, the can of scripture. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited too. It's a topic, you know, I, I love and, you know, just being involved, not only at Good Fight Ministries, but also just being discipled here at Blessed Hope Chapel, where you pastor out, obviously, just the focus being scripture first has always been something that I noticed immediately upon coming to Christ. And so the canon of scripture, the scripture that we have today is something that always has been so important to me because I've seen the emphasis at our own fellowship. And so I think uh, being able to speak about that is an absolute blessing and an honor for me to talk about God's word, which is what we're going to be talking about today uh, specifically, because when we talk about end times, we want to get this straight. When we talk about end times, so often there is a lot of, I guess you could say, it can get convoluted with people where end times, rather than it being something where, what do the scriptures truly say and are we really exegeting texts the best we can? Are we going just simply back to the tradition of our church? Are we going just simply back to something we heard at a cool prophecy conference? Or are we actually looking at the text of scripture? And I believe that when we do that, and we're gonna be going through a lot of scripture, I see your notes are uh, stacked today. Uh, That's so. just for one question. The other <laughs> question is going to come from the heart, but this is, I hope you guys stay tuned for the main question we're going to deal with, which is one of the main stumbling blocks to a lot of believers when they don't understand the context 
because sometimes Jesus called a false prophet because he said, which I don't want to bear the lead, which I'm about to, and shall get into the lead. But as he does, you'll see what I'm talking about because there's such a great biblical answer when you understand what Jesus is saying there. And it's actually very profound what he's saying. And I, I hate to tease you guys because I was going to mention it and that wouldn't mean to be a, a to tease it out. But uh, we're going to, you know, we'll hit some other questions quick, but sufficiently. Uh, some questions that we want to do, we're going to wait till next week and the week after perhaps because they're a little deeper answers and uh, we want to uh, get into a lot of scripture with you. But these other ones uh, have, you know, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. No, I, I think it's really important because you mentioned specifically that this is a place where people can get very, very confused. I saw people saying, oh, this is a really easy thing to answer. And I said to myself, first of all, that's not true. Uh, it's not always easy to Sometimes answer. Sometimes the easy answer, if you look at the so-called easy answer, it's not really congruent with Jesus' whole teaching. And it depends what they mean by easy answer, but we'll get into that. Yeah. Because we'll get into the three main answers. Yeah, and I think one of the big things, too, when we're giving out answers, it's really important. People ask questions. We take every one of them seriously because... The thing is, is that maybe people, we never want somebody, and this happens, and you hear you hear this happening, and praise God, it's not something that's prevalent in our fellowship, but when people have questions, we don't want them to be hindered at all to say, oh, this isn't a smart question, but I have to ask it. No, we want to say, hey, any question you have on the scripture, make sure you send it our way, or to your pastor, obviously, if you're being shepherded by someone. You know, when you have questions, make sure to ask them. Don't be, you know, embarrassed about them, but ask them, because as long as they're sincere, you know, it, it's very important that we can answer them. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, I mean, this right here, one answer is, it's its like, you know, 24 pages, you know, my own writing uh, with Bible quotations and a few quotations from uh, some scholars I want to quote. Uh, and this could have easily been over 40 pages. I had to reduce it uh, because this answer is so meaningful to me. Or it's, And it's, it's not just a great answer as far as, and I believe you guys will just, if you really, if you got to follow it, you know, you have to listen to the scripture and, and think it through because it's a deep answer but it, the really cool thing I love the fact that when the Bible's attacked when you look at the answers to the most perplexing things for instance why did God off, ask Abraham you know to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice I and mean, that's human sacrifice and you know how, that's evil and you know it's like when you look at that that's the whole picture that's the first passion play of the fact that the God who would send his son into the world it becomes the most beautiful text one of my favorite texts in all of scripture the most beautiful for some time I still go back to it, chapter 22 of Genesis, verses 1 through 19. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, you know, three-day, three-night journey, you know, taking the wood up on his back, you know. Father, you know, the, you know where's, the, where's the sacrifice? He'll provide the lamb in the future, which happened on that same mountaintop. And because the most beautiful thing, well, the attack against Christians and what Jesus taught here, when you look at the answer to what we're going to be dealing with today, uh, it, it really helps you understand the prophetic picture and paradigm that God has set up. So I'm excited about that. And I have to say, one of the reasons that I'm glad that this question came up, one of the reasons I was going to read at the beginning, but I'll just read it at the end, but is because there were, um, I guess you would call them modern day Pharisees uh, that did some advertising on Facebook, actually, where they start off with, I'm going to prove to you that Jesus was a false prophet. And Before they you use go on, this. I'm just yeah. going to let you know, C.S. Lewis calls this, this the most embarrassing verse in the Bible. It says Jesus was wrong here. Okay? Well, You then, wonder why I don't quote C.S. Lewis a lot. Yeah, that's one of the I, many reasons. I quote reasons, him, it's yeah. more in the negative, even though he said some brilliant things, but yeah. I have some struggles with some things that are fundamentally very serious to me, not sure exactly Yeah, it whether at. it's the atonement or whatever. Yeah, denying that Jesus yeah, actually wanna... paid for our sins. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, these things are really important, and, I, and, you know, praise God, every time I come, 
back to look at here. I see that you guys are growing on here. And thank you guys so much for sharing, liking, subscribing, commenting, whatever you're doing. But um, let's get in. Tony, we're going to go to Carrie Osborne's question. This is going to be the first question that we deal with, Joe, because when we talk about end times theology, there are a lot of things that we could get into. But the, the simple question that she's asking is um, the tribulation period. When will the rapture take place? Is it before or after what we would call the Great Tribulation period? Right. And I'm only going to take one minute, time me, you know, I don't know, maybe a minute and a half <laughs> on this answer because uh, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good question, but I've done so much on this. In fact, I just talked about the Day of the Lord yesterday's message, and is the Day of the Lord actually the Tribulation period, which we prove it's not. It's the end of the Tribulation period at the Lord's second coming. Uh, however, uh, we have a debate I did, a debate I did over in uh, Colorado, I was invited by Prophets in the News to debate their champion on pre-trib, and not boasting because it's God's word and by His grace, but uh, pretty much universal response that the post-trib position was clearly articulated and very clearly the the, the biblical view by so many people. A lot of pre-tribs came over to the post-trib side, but uh, so you can check out that you can watch our video called "Left Behind or Led Astray." Uh, and you can look at a lot of messages. I've probably done 50 messages on that, <laughs> that subject through the years. But we'll just say this, is the second coming was historically always believed by the church to be after the tribulation period up until the 1800s. And then the new view came about that that seven-year tribulation period or the great tribulation that lasts three and a half years, that Christ would come before that uh, seven years or in the middle of that seven years, which was actually new. And we don't have time to get into it, but the scriptures are very clear. Jesus himself said, when the apostles who ended up becoming the leaders of the church, right? Peter, James, John, and Andrew were there in Mark 13. And we see he says in Mark 13 and in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse, that immediately after the tribulation, after post-trib, uh, they'll see the Son of Man come in the clouds with power, with great glory, and he'll gather his elect from the four winds. Paul made it clear in talking to the church at Thessalonica that they're only going to get their rest from persecution when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on those who are on the earth. That's the second coming. That's not a pre-trip rapture. And he's telling that's when they, the church gets its rest from persecution, not seven years earlier. And then he goes on to make it crystal clear. Don't let anyone deceive you by any means after he mentions a prophecy or messages from us, like a false prophecy. A letter as from us, uh, I'm sorry, a message or a letter as from us, meaning one of Paul's letters or counterfeit letters or a spirit to think that that day has come or is at hand. That day, meaning Christ gathering us together is the v verse one. So he's talking about the rapture. It won't happen, he says, until two events take place. Uh, the falling away, the apostasia, uh, which is another question we got, which we won't deal this week. Is, does apostasia mean the rapture? Absolutely not. Uh, we'll look at that. It wasn't used of a physical departure for 500 years. Anyway, I'm getting, I'm going beyond yeah, my minute and a half. Yeah, you beat your minute say, I'll just say this. <laughs> I'll just say this, that Paul said it's not going to happen until the falling away takes place and the Antichrist is revealed in the temple. So that case takes you past the middle of the tribulation. And then in verse 8, the Antichrist is revealed and the Lord slays with the spirit of his mouth the brightness of his coming. In verse 8, which is obviously the second coming, which is exactly what he talked about in chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, when he comes with the mighty angel of flaming fire to give us rest. So uh, you might go back and put it on half speed or put, put it on like, you know, 50% speed or whatever, and then my message, my uh, my words might make more sense. I'm sorry I went kind of quick there, but we have so much on that. And stay tuned, sister, because you'll become an apologist for the second coming of Christ as is biblically taught in time if you're with this ministry. Yeah, I know. And one of the cool things, as he said, we have a number of teaching on that. We've done podcast shows in the past of, is there a rapture in the Bible? And when does it happen? So you guys can also check those out. An entire several-part series as well. 
Yeah, and it, yeah, exactly. You got the long, and you've been going through Revelation now for a few years. So this is obviously a topic we talk about a lot. So yeah, it's good to bring it up and always have those refresher, you know, because especially if maybe you're new to listening to the show, you know, it's always a blessing to answer those. All right, well, this one I think is a good question. This one comes from Belinda, and she asks, are the bowl judgments and the trumpet judgments overlapping or are they separate events happening all together? Thanks for all the hard work you guys do to teach us truth. God bless. Uh, the answer is yes and no, uh, Belinda. It's a great question. And uh, you know what? I hesitate to take too much time on this because I want to get to this generation question. I know our max time is an hour and a half, but I want to, I want to be sufficient in my responses here. And, you know, sometimes you'll hear Bible answer man type things and they'll usually give you one or two minute answer. You know, it can, sometimes it can be good, but can obviously leave you wanting, especially when you've already studied the subject, you want to go deeper. So I'll say this is that they, they uh, aren't all concurrent in the sense that uh, I believe the seal judgments start first, and that's being Revelation 6 when Jesus begins to open the seals. Uh, the great white horse rider who has a bow, it's at the beginning of the tribulation, it's not Jesus with the sword, it's a, 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 a rider with a bow in his hand, and he goes forth conquering the conqueror, and, and it's a white horse, it's like a false peace. Daniel says he'll destroy many through means of peace. In other words, he's saying peace, but they're destroying many, and Christians will be persecuted in mass at that time, and Jewish uh, folks as well. Uh, and uh, the seals will begin to open up, and but the seals, it's very fascinating, Belinda. Go ahead and look at the seals and go through Matthew chapter 24, and you'll see that the seals, in Matthew 24, that's what the Olivet Discourse in chapter 25, but 24 is where Jesus gives you the outline of the end times when they ask him three-pronged question. What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the ages is the second two. The first one is, when shall these things be, meaning the destruction of the temple? Because he talked about the destruction of the temple. And what shall be the sign of your coming, number two, and the end of the age? And he brings them through an outline. He starts with false Christ and false, false prophets will deceive many. That corresponds with that white horse rider going forth to conquer, not Jesus. He doesn't have the sword. He doesn't have the many diadema, which you see in Revelation 19, the end of tribulation with Jesus. He has the one Stephanos, and he's conquering and it's a false peace movement under Antichrist. And then if you go through the rest of the seals, you'll see they take you through famine, you know, they take you through war, uh, they take you through persecution of the saints with the believers crying out to God, how long do you avenge those who, uh, who shed our blood, the souls under the altar? And then it takes you right to the very end of the tribulation period, and of the day of the Lord when Jesus Christ comes back and, and the kings of the earth who were worshiping Antichrist with him trying to fight Christ at a second coming, we read about that in more detail in the chapters in Revelation, because these are like snapshots of the end, like a reoccurring dream giving you more details. So it brings you all the way through the tribulation period to the very end, right to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, where he, where the, the wicked are crying to the mountains and to, to, to fall on us, to crush them, to hide them from him who sits on the throne. That's the Father. And from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb, it says, uh, the fierce wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of his vengeance has come. And it brings you to the very end, because it says every, every island and every mountain, look around, every island and mountain, Maui, doesn't matter where you're at, they're going to be gone. There's going to be, there's going to be this cosmic, uh, uh, you know, just geo, uh, just, just a massive reconfiguration of, of not just the cosmos, but it says the stars will fall from heaven, the sky will roll up like a scroll. Uh, so the Lord's bringing his kingdom in at that point. So that sixth seal brings you to the very end, okay? So what I'm saying here, and the reason I, I take you through those six together, is Jesus is popping the seals. He pops the first one. It reveals some of the end. So there's a scroll. you got to kind of just think about it. It's a sealed scroll that nobody can open except Jesus. When he pops that first seal, it opens up a little bit of the scroll. You get it. You say, wow, this is going to happen. Second seal, ooh, this is going to happen. Second horseman of the apocalypse. Third seal, third horseman of the apocalypse. Fourth seal, fourth, fourth, fourth horseman of the 
Apocalypse. And by the way, little nugget on Marvel, one of the big Marvel movies, they were fighting a God called Apocalypse. The Apocalypse is, Apocalypse is of Jesus Christ, right? Very first word in the book Revelation, Apocalypse. Is, and he has four horsemen in the movie. And, well, who has the four horsemen? Jesus. They're fighting against Jesus. He's a picture of Jesus. And I, I, the actor said he had to read the book of Revelation to get ready for his part. Okay, now I'm really going off, but gives you a little taste of what we're going to be showing in, in, the, in the Marvel DC War on God. Uh, but anyway, as you get to that sixth seal, you pop the sixth a little bit more. Now you got six seals. It's opened up a little bit, quite a bit more, right? You can see the edge, and it's like, wow, this is show, a picture of the end. He's showing a picture of the end. The sixth seal is a picture of Christ coming at the end of the age. That seal is concurrent with now, the seventh trumpet and with the seventh bowl. See, when you pop that seventh seal, sixth seal just shows you the end. You pop that seventh seal, the whole scroll opens up. Now you get the details of what leads up to the end. Then when you go to the first trumpet, you know, right before the first trumpet happens, which is, happens after the six seals are, are delineated as far as what this whole tribulation looks like to the very end, when you open up the seventh seal, it opens up, and guess what you see before the first trumpet? You see the prayers of the saints going up to the Lord saying, you know, and then a picture of his wrath hitting the earth, and then the trumpets begin to blow for the next few chapters, chapter 8, 9, 10, 11, with uh, 11 being somewhat, somewhat parenthetical because you have the two witnesses and so forth. So it's interesting here because the prayer is going up. Well, guess what? That harks back to the sixth seal or the fifth seal when they're crying how long have you finished your blood on the earth? Those are the prayers of the saints. Okay? There's a lot more prayers than that. There's your prayers, our prayers. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. All going before the Lord. And then more of his wrath falls. And then you start to see the trumpets blow. So it's almost, so it's like the first six seals take you to the very end, right? Then all of a sudden, the seventh seal, the seven trumpets starts blowing, but they go back now in time, back a little bit through the tribulation period. And when you hit the seventh trumpet, guess what? It aligns perfectly with the sixth seal. Then after the seven trumpets blow, then you get a picture of the end again of the tribulation period, but more toward the very end, and you see the, 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 the bowls being unleashed. But guess what bowl? The seventh bowl is the same as the seventh trumpet and the sixth seal. And I, I, I encourage people, and they, they're blown away when they do this. They say, go ahead and look at the sixth seal and diagram it. Read what it's about. And then draw what happens under the seventh trumpet. Then draw what happens under the seventh, or you know, write out what happens under the seventh bowl. And then make little lines to where they intersect and they're all saying the same thing. You'll see it's talking about the same event. It all brings you to the end. Paul said the rapture is at the last trumpet. Seventh trumpet is the last trumpet. And that's when the mystery of God, it says, is finished in Revelation chapter 10, you know, and so forth. So they're not all concurrent. So we're not, we're not teaching that. We don't believe that the first seal is like the first trumpet and the first trumpet is like the first bowl or vile judgment. No, what we're saying is that they, they run concurrently in time, some of them together, but they're not describing the same events until you get to the sixth seal, seventh trumpet, seventh bowl, then they all describe the end. So I hope that's helpful. I've had a lot more time on that answer before when it's come up and I've, as far as teaching it and fellowship and so forth. Maybe we'll do an in-depth uh, answer, you know, and I, I think that would be really awesome to really just dig. If you guys say, hey, uh, go for it, we'd love to go in depth to where they fall and so forth. We'll do that sometime in the future because it's a fascinating study. It's very eye-opening. No, amen. And, you know, I think it's it's great that you're talking about this. And you actually brought up in the previous question the debate you did with Doug Stoffer. And when Joe is answering the next question, I will do my best on the live chat to get you guys a link to the entire debate because we had Jessica Zondervan write in that she became post-trib after watching that debate. So Praise for God. those Praise who are Lord, here, Jessica. 
And by the way, truth we've already lover. a few people here that you know love the truth, and they said, "Hey, you know what? I believe in P. Trib, but I love your guys' ministry." So we praise God, yeah, we you guys love are you guys, here. man. And it's great to be able to have disagreements, but still, you know, be able to share in We're truth family. and love. Read to disagree. And so, all right, the next question we have is from Austin Housley Gibbs, and he said, "Please explain the timeline of the woman in the wilderness giving birth to who sounds like Jesus." I can't wrap my head around how it's explained by John like he is watching it happen in the future. Thank you from Austin. You know, Austin, that is an excellent question. It really, really is because especially when you read the, you know, the, write the things which thou hast seen. This is Revelation, the outline of the book, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are, so things which thou hast seen, which refers to the vision John just had of Jesus right before that, right? He sees Jesus with his eyes of fire, you know, and a voice of thunder and hair white, hair white like wool and snow and so forth and uh, face shining like the sun right things I was seeing the things which are which are the things that are presently gonna are taking place which is why he addresses the seven churches because that's what he writes about the things that are you know the, the things happening in the seven churches which apply to us today in many cases because he that has an ear let him hear there's that rejoin at the end of each uh, church pretty much let him that has an ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it's not as though this church represents this church age. This church represents this church age. I don't believe that's biblical because these were the things that are in John's day. And they, uh, well, a church might be more like the church of Laodicea and lukewarm. might be like the church of Sardis where it has a name that it lives, but it's a dead church, even though it's got a reputation. Maybe like the church of Philadelphia where it doesn't have a lot of power, but guess what? It's a church that keeps his word and, and blesses Jesus' hearts. Or it might be like Pergamos or Thyatira where there's things to commend in it. Uh, Pergamos dwells where Satan is and where his throne is, you know, and, and, and Thyatira, uh, and they hold fast his name and so forth, but they have false teaching there, and they, there's idolatry there, just like Thyatira with Pergamos. So each of those churches could, could, could affect us. And I'm telling you this because it's, under, it's important to get that outline done. I praise the Lord. He wants us to understand the book of Revelation. The Revelation of Jesus Christ, again, the word apocalypse, this means to be, have an unveiling. It's almost like curtains, you know, being opened up so you can see what the Lord has to show you these things that must shortly come to pass to show it's not to hide and so he gives us his outline but then he mentions not only things that you've seen but things which are and things which shall be hereafter the future so also your question is good because in chapter uh six onward you begin to see uh the future and uh, you actually see even in chapter five four and five when jesus starts to take the scroll to open the seals and so forth you see uh the future so uh but as you go through the future, so you might come to Revelation 12, and it might seem warned that this is all future, uh, but it, but it's not because it, what it does is at that point it harks back to the past a little bit, and we know this because uh, who is the woman? Because I know when you're reading it, and I can see, I can totally see that, you know, because when you're reading it, it's like this woman gives birth to a child, and before you know it, she's running in the wilderness to be protected for 1260 days, right? That's the great tribulation period when the Antichrist is basically unleashed on the world, and it's just prior to that it says. The, you know, the, the dragon is cast down. He comes down having great wrath. You know, the accuse of the brethren. Woe to the earth, because now he can't accuse us anymore. That time, man, he's just wholesale. And by the, at that time, the archangel Michael is no longer protecting Israel like he was. And there's going to be great tribulation that Jesus said would be like nothing before after, right? So that's coming up in the future. So when you see the woman there, you're asking the question, it looks like she just gave birth and now she's in the wilderness. But keep in mind, you have, and this is this is very, very helpful when we find scriptures that talk about the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, was to show things which much shortly come to pass. And what does shortly mean? It's been 2,000 years. Well, guess what? Some will say shortly means quickly. Meaning when he comes, he's going to come fast. That's a stretch. Okay, that's a stretch. 
what he means there. Uh, what he means is shortly from God's vantage point. We're constantly looking from God's vantage point to the Lord. We're told in the context of Christ's second coming by Peter, the, the, you know, that he, he's not delaying in regard to his coming as some, he doesn't count slowness as some count slowness. Another, and he goes on to say a day is like a thousand years, a thousand like a day to the Lord. So it's just been two days since the book of Revelation was written in God's uh, economy. And the reason I point this out is because sometimes prophecy is very telescopic. You'll see the great and terrible day of the Lord described at the very end. You know, and it's, and it's talking about shortly. It's like, wait a minute, that's like even more than 2,000 years. But I can show you prophecies that have been, been fulfilled. We had time that were hundreds and hundreds of years later, but they're actually fulfilled. Like the 69 weeks of Daniel, the first 69 were fulfilled. It wasn't literal weeks. It was a lot longer. It was 483 years, right? But uh, you think it was shorter. But when I say telescopic, it's like you see a bunch of, a, a bunch of uh, you know, mountaintops. You don't see what's in between the valleys. And I've been in, I've, I love to backpack and, and, and do those kinds of things. And one time, man, we, we got back a day late. My wife was freaking out because we didn't show up in the morning, which is going to pick us up below. And it was a whole other day uh, because it was a lot further than we thought, you know. And sometimes you see mountaintops, you think they're, oh, they're pretty close. And there's this huge chasm between prophecies like that. So when you see this woman, it's actually covering 4,000 years of time, okay? Uh, almost 4,000 years of time or more, and I'll tell you why. Because there's these valleys in between these mountaintops. The first time you see the woman, and we do know the woman is Israel. It's not Mary, as Roman Catholicism teaches, that Mary gave birth to the child. No, because she's described in the first few verses when he sees this great sign in the sky. The sun and the moon and 12 stars, right? It's this glorious sign. And it's a woman. Well, the Bible, especially the book of Revelation, uh, we love intertextualism, where the Bible just complements the Bible and interprets itself. So you've got it with Revelation. There's hundreds of allusions to the Old Testament. So where is hmm, sun, moon, 12 stars in the Old Testament? Just go way back to the book of Genesis, and it speaks of the birthing of Israel, and it speaks of Joseph and how the 12 stars, the sun and the moon, bowed down to him. Well, everybody knows when you go to that story, who, who's the 12 stars? The sun and the moon represents his family. And it would be fulfilled later when they would bow down to Joseph uh, when he was the vice regent of Pharaoh feeding the world and they needed a bunch of food and they're starving and the very one they rejected, their eyes are open. They see the one they pierce and they're, they're bowed down to him. They receive from him. Okay, so we see that the woman is Israel. And by the way, that's a picture, Joseph's picture of Jesus. They're a picture of Israel because they, are, they represent the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel because you've got Judah there, you've got Benjamin, you've got Joseph and the 12 tribes come out of them. So that's Israel, right? And by the way, when Jesus comes in the future, that's going to literally happen with his descendants. They're going to see him when they pierce and he's been giving bread to the world as Joseph was uh, because we take communion every Sunday. It's a picture of the salvation, the bread of life. So what's really heavy about this is the woman you see is birthed through, uh, you know, coming through the line, Abraham, Isaac, right, Jacob. But we see Joseph is plays a special part uh, in this and, 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 the, and the 12 brothers and Israel collectively will bow down to uh, Jesus in that picture. So the woman that you first see in Revelation 12 is Israel. Israel brings forth the Messiah. Remember the, the seed that we'd be born from the woman? Well, it's born from the woman collectively as Israel. He was a Jew, son of David, and also literally from the woman Mary. But the woman being described there is not Mary. The woman being described there is Israel. And uh, the Messiah would come from Israel. Salvation, Jesus said, is of the Jews. He's a Jew first, to, also to the Gentile or Greek, Paul said. So you have the woman showing up, and then you have this, you have Satan, the great dragon, drawing a third of the stars with him. Now, this is before, if you look at the chronology, 
Yeah, I disagree with Michael Heiser, who says, oh, uh, the, Satan didn't, a bunch of uh, angels didn't rebel with Satan. He just rebelled on his own. And la later on, the demons were the, the spirits from the Nephilim, or, you know, from the, I'm sorry, were, yeah, the Nephilim who died because of the sex between angels and men and so forth. And that's where you got the demons and, and so forth. And he says that Satan in the book of Job really isn't the, de isn't the devil and so forth. Uh, there's a lot. And we'll probably do a whole show on, on, on his viewpoints, uh, some which we'd agree with and some which we disagree with. But right there, you see a third of the stars uh, swept away by Satan prior to the woman giving birth to the man-child, which is Jesus. So we see something very interesting there with regard to the chronology. Uh, and then uh, Michael Heiser says, well, the stars there don't have to represent angels. Well, just read a few verses later. Then Satan and his angels had war with you know Michael and his angels and so forth. And you see stars throughout the book of Revelation are consistently uh, interpreted as angels. You know, So that woman gives birth to the male child, Jesus, okay? Jesus ascends. Remember Herod tried to kill her? They try to kill, Satan tries to kill the man-child. Then the man-child ascends. Jesus is the man-child. He ascends to heaven, okay? Then, guess what happens? The woman goes into the wilderness for 12 or 6 days. That's the great tribulation period. So how are we to understand this after I said all that? And you're not going to understand it as good as if I don't say those things, is this. The woman, we see all the way back in Genesis, 4,000 years ago almost, right? After that, we see the woman giving birth to the child 2,000 years ago. After that, we see the woman going to the wilderness, which is still future, and we're 2,000 years removed from that. So it's almost a 4,000-year period of time, and we'll see when that happens. That's coming up in the future. Uh, so that's basically the chronology. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062, or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.